0: Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. The trucker protest expanding in Canada with trucks now blocking two key border crossings. We take a look at the heated debate in Canada and what the White House has to say. New Zealand residents take inspiration from Canada and stretch anti-vaccine protests into their third day. New Zealand's Prime Minister says the protesters do not reflect the country. China was never on target to fulfill its role in phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement. A report says the pandemic isn't entirely to blame, but what is? U.S. ice skater Nathan Chen wins Olympic gold. He put on a near-perfect free skate and earned a standing ovation from supporters. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is facing increasing pressure to lift pandemic restrictions or at least listen to protesters. So far, he's refused to meet with them or send anyone to hear their concerns. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more.
1: You need to end it with public health measures. You need to end it.
2: <laughs> A heated debate in Canada's House of Commons Wednesday. With Conservative Party lawmakers pressing Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to lift federal vaccine mandates.
3: I asked him to show me some evidence and science around interprovincial trucking mandates and he totally ignored
0: that
1: question.
2: The trucker protest against vaccine mandates has expanded with trucks now blocking two key Canada-U.S. border crossings. Trudeau criticized opposition lawmakers for supporting the protests. Right now,
1: people in Windsor are suffering and losing their jobs because they can't get auto parts across the Ambassador Bridge. And this Conservative Party that supports these blockades won't even stand up and say enough is enough, it's time to go home.
2: Conservative opposition leader Candace Bergen said it seemed like Trudeau wants to live in a permanent pandemic.
4: Other countries are opening up. Provinces are opening up. As he just said, 90% of Canadians have the vaccine. The prime minister needs to put his ego aside. He needs to do what's right for the country. He needs to end the mandates.
2: Trudeau responded, saying the government has put the health and safety of Canadians first and foremost. Meanwhile, the mayor of Windsor, Ontario, has asked for more help to deal with the protest at Ambassador Bridge. It connects Canada to Detroit, Michigan.
5: It's worth saying that almost a full third of international trade between the United States and Canada crosses at the Ambassador Bridge. And so when this bridge is closed for an hour, uh, it is noticed by the auto sector immediately. There has to be a resolution to get this border crossing open so that we do not impact the economies of the United States and Canada.
2: This week, two Liberal members of Parliament broke with their own party's position citing divisive pandemic policies and rhetoric. And polls are also showing that a greater number of Canadians want COVID-19 restrictions lifted. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: The ongoing truckers' protests have drawn the attention of U.S. lawmakers after several automakers halted their output in Canada. The White House says the U.S. supply chain and auto industry are taking a hit.
6: The Canadian trucker's blockade at a key border crossing is prompting concern from the White House.
7: The Ambassador Bridge is Canada's busiest link to the United States and accounts for about 25 percent of trade uh, between the two countries. And so the blockade poses a risk to supply chains, for the auto industry, because the bridge is a key conduit for motor vehicles, components
6: and parts, and delays uh, risk disrupting auto production. Trucks in Canada were diverted to the Blue Water Bridge in Michigan after truckers shut inbound Canada traffic at the Ambassador Bridge. Multiple U.S. automakers, including Ford and Toyota, have halted some production at their Canadian plants. Ford said Wednesday that it has suspended engine output in Windsor. Another plant in Ontario is also operating on a reduced schedule. Still, voices differ among U.S. lawmakers. (laughs) Senator Ted Cruz says Canadian truckers represent an organic groundswell from the people. I think the Canadian truckers are standing
1: up not just for the freedom of Canadians, but for the freedom of Americans. Look, I'm pro-vaccine, I've been vaccinated, but I also believe in individual liberty. It's your choice whether or not to choose
6: to get a COVID vaccine, and you shouldn't have some petty tyrant forcing you to make that choice. Canada's Freedom Convoy organizers insist that the country's pandemic restrictions are far stricter than those in the United States, saying they hurt the businesses, industries, and livelihoods. A recent survey also found that a majority of Canadians, up to 54%, favored lifting COVID restrictions.
0: New Zealand is cracking down on anti-vaccine mandate protests in its capital, Wellington, which have stretched into their third day. Thousands have blocked traffic outside Parliament with trucks, cars and motorcycles inspired by ongoing demonstrations in Canada.
7: Police arrested over 50 people on Thursday and forcibly removed hundreds more from the premises where protesters had been camped for the past few days. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern told reporters the protest did not reflect nationwide sentiment. Some 94% of eligible New Zealanders are vaccinated.
8: Obviously, every New Zealander has a right to protest, but there are also rules around what is able to happen on Parliament's forecourt. All of us want to actually move on. We're working very hard to put ourselves in the best possible position to do that. New Zealand has
7: earned worldwide praise for keeping the country virtually virus-free for the past two years. But strict COVID restrictions have taken their toll, and Ardern's approval ratings have taken a hit. Borders are still closed, cutting off tens of thousands of New Zealand expats from their families and leaving tourism businesses struggling to stay afloat. Police said those arrested will face trespass and obstruction charges.
0: And in Belgium, authorities in Brussels have banned a pan-European freedom convoy of motorists from entering the capital. That's according to a statement by the Brussels regional government today. The convoy was inspired by the Canadian trucker demonstrations held in Ottawa in recent weeks. The European protesters departed from southern France this Wednesday and planned to gather in Paris and Brussels. They are expected to arrive next Monday at the seat of NATO and the European Union. Like their counterparts in Canada, the motorists are demanding an end to COVID-19 restrictions. Paris authorities had earlier banned the convoy. According to the Brussels city government, federal police will be stationed on the main roads leading to the city. The authorities say they have not yet received any requests for protests. Also joining Virginia, New York, Illinois, and Rhode Island announced an end date for their mask mandate for their mask requirements and other COVID restrictions. New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Illinois Governor JB Pritzker made similar announcements to end their states mask mandates for most indoor public settings, but both states are keeping mask rules in schools. New York will drop its mandate for businesses effective Thursday, but the state will still require masks in healthcare settings and on public transportation. Illinois will lift its mandates starting February 28th, with exceptions for settings such as hospitals and nursing homes. Rhode Island no longer requires proof of vaccination, and in addition to removing mask requirements in public areas, the state is also ending mask mandates in schools. Massachusetts will no longer require students and staff in schools to wear face coverings while indoors starting February 28th. The House Education Committee advanced an amended bill to block local school boards from imposing mask mandates. And matching amended legislation is moving through the Senate. In New York State, residents are embracing the end of the stringent indoor mask mandate, but some say they think it's too early to drop their masks. Despite
7: Governor Kathy Hochul's announcement dropping the indoor mask mandate, some residents in New York State remain wary. Some say it's too soon to lift the restriction. I don't really
4: think
9: it's the right time to lift the mandate. Um, I understand that she's keeping it inside of the schools, but I think even though that is an indoor area, we should keep it for other indoor areas as well.
5: I think it needs to be um, carefully done and, and monitored as we try to get back to life, but in spaces like theater and large events, I think it should still be there. I don't think it needs to go away
7: the rule change may not immediately change some people's personal habits. I feel personally that I'm gonna be better safe than sorry and continue wearing my mask um, until I, I think that virus numbers drop a little bit more.
2: I myself have young children and worry about them every day. So this is not just about one person, it's about our whole community.
7: Still, others believe the rollout of vaccines should allow for more freedom in choosing whether to wear a mask. I feel as if it's okay, I mean, people are vaccinated and there's, you know, immunity somewhat at this point. A visitor from Alabama says the New York governor's decision is justified.
4: Actually, I have noticed that there's been more compliance in New York than what I have seen in the Southeast. And I feel that there is a better um,
7: usage of vaccinations here and uh, testing. So I think she's making a safe decision. New York state officials say they will decide whether to keep the school mask mandate in place during the first week of March after students return from midwinter break.
0: Parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, are continuing to fight against mask mandates and critical race theory in their children's schools. Many of the parents say they don't feel that anyone is listening and that has left them no choice, they say, but to serve papers to the members of the school board. NTD's Jason Perry has the story.
1: We are therefore here today to serve you an affidavit by which you must respond with an affidavit and sworn testimony showing us where in the
7: Constitution you have been given the legal authority to trample on the rights.
3: Parents
5: in Loudoun County, Virginia are fed up with their school board and say they don't listen. Now, 65 parents have signed affidavits in an attempt to force a response from the board members. In the affidavits, they asked the board to end unconstitutional COVID-19 mandates, stop all critical race theory-related programs, and dedicate restrooms to male, female, transgender, and staff, among other requests. According to Renee Camp, one of the organizers of the effort, the school board will either respond with backup documents to support their current policies or ignore them, which she says is equivalent to admitting the wrongdoing alleged in the affidavits. Parents applauded and cheered as the kids walked to the front of the room with the affidavits in hand. One of the board members, Atusa Reeser, immediately got up and left the room, and commotion erupted. School board chair Jeff Morse then took control of the room. Excuse me, there's one chairman, one time,
6: one voice, okay? Now listen, we will all be seated. Any documents that need to be provided will be provided to the LCPS staff. They will forward them to us, and we will all receive copies.
5: The children then left the room to serve the papers to the school staff. Chief Operations Officer Kevin Lewis then met Megan Rafalski, who is the leader of the Education Task Force on behalf of various grassroots parent organizations in Loudoun County.
7: We have done everything we possibly can. We've come to school board meetings, we've talked, we've written emails, we've tried to talk to our principals. Our kids are being shut out we just want to go to school okay that's all we're trying to do and they've made us do this we've spent nearly a thousand dollars to print documents that we have to serve you to ask you to please look at these things how have we gotten here in american society i don't understand
5: also on Tuesday, Virginia's Democrat-controlled state senate passed a bill to end mask mandates in public schools. The bill is expected to pass the Republican-majority state house and soon arrive at Governor Glenn Youngkin's desk.
0: Jason Perry, NCD News, New York. The House Committee investigating the breach of the US Capitol subpoena's former White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro. It is demanding he hand over documents and sit for a deposition. Members are accusing Navarro of being involved in a plot to delay the certification of the 2020 presidential election. The committee cites public reporting, interviews, and his book. His book is called In Trump Time, My Journal of America's Plague Year. In it, Navarro writes about a strategy which he says he coordinated with former chief White House strategist Steve Bannon. The book says they aimed to subject ballots to scrutiny and investigation, but the committee has characterized the plan as a way to overturn the election results. Navarro told Newsweek last month that his Green Bay Sweep strategy is within the boundaries of the U.S. Constitution. Trump claims his communications during his time in the White House are protected by executive privilege. Navarro tells the Epoch Times that he has no intention of violating that privilege to comply with the committee's request. The Biden administration is considering new China tariffs, This comes as a new report shows China was never on track to meet its obligations as part of the Phase 1 trade agreement. China has not met the import targets under the Trump-era Phase 1 trade agreement, but why? A report by the Peterson Institute for International Economics says the pandemic can't be blamed entirely. The report says for one, it set unreal, unrealistic import targets, and two, some amount of bad faith on both sides. White House economic advisor Brian Dees says they are concerned with China not living up to its commitments.
6: We are concerned that China has not lived up to the commitments that it made. We are engaging directly with them some of that is the flawed nature of the uh, trade agreement itself but we are where we think it's feasible and practical going to make them live up to their commitments but also reset the trade relationship around protecting core u.s interests around ip uh, and other areas where we know that china is violating the rules
0: the prc pledged to buy more products from the u.s agricultural manufacturing and energy sectors that amount was supposed to increase by at least 200 billion in 2020 and in 2021 beyond what China purchased in 2017, a total increase of $502 billion over the two years. And now the Biden administration is considering a new probe of tariffs on China. That's if negotiations fail to get China to follow through on its end of the deal. But the administration has another option. That includes working with allies and demanding that China allow a level playing field for worldwide firms. The exports of U.S. goods to China dropped in December. The U.S. goods trade deficit with China increased by $45 billion in 2021. That's a 14.5% increase, which brings the total to over $355 billion. Last year, the U.S. trade deficit worldwide jumped 27%, which brings the total to $859 billion. That's because businesses had to restock their inventories during pent-up demand as the economy opened up. The United States will host the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation's annual meeting in 2023. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki says President Biden's administration is committed to advancing fair trade, open investments, and competition. This is part of a focus on expanding and deepening economic ties in the region. Plans for Washington to host the multilateral gathering come amid ongoing tensions with China, Biden also addressed the 2021 gathering, saying he was committed to strengthening the U.S. relationship with APAC economies and urging action on the environment and global health. A former casino executive is sentenced to a year in prison. He was convicted of participating in the same college admissions fraud that has sent celebrities to prison. Gamal Aziz paid $300,000 to bribe his daughter's way into the University of Southern California. The 65-year-old asked a judge in Boston to show mercy for his family's sake. But the judge said a message needed to be sent to any rich parent dishonest enough to try the same scheme. The judge said Aziz stole an admission spot at a good college from a deserving student who did not have all of Aziz's advantages. The judge ordered Aziz to serve 12 months and a day in prison, pay a $250,000 fine, and perform 400 hours of community service. Before Wednesday, the longest prison sentence anyone connected with the scandal received was nine months. Aziz said he believed his money was going to university donations, not bribes. Aziz's lawyer says he hopes to appeal and vindicate his client. And in Indiana, the Agriculture Department reports an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian flu in a turkey flock. It is the nation's first case in a commercial poultry operation since 2020. The outbreak brought a swift reaction from importers seeking to limit the spread of the bird flu. China and Korea blocked non-heated poultry meat from Indiana, and Taiwan restricted poultry meat and egg products from the state. Indiana said the strain of the virus was H5N1. It is the state's first case of highly pathogenic bird flu in commercial poultry since 2016. That's when 400,000 birds were killed. The H5N1 strain has also been found in wild birds along the U.S. East Coast and has caused a wave of outbreaks in poultry across Europe and Asia. The president of the USA Poultry and Egg Export Council says China's ban on Indiana poultry will likely last 90 days. The USDA said bird flu does not pose an immediate health concern to people. After completing their routine water rescue training, Missouri firefighters immediately put their new skills to work and saved the lives of two teenagers. According to footage from the Maryland Heights Fire District in the St. Louis area, the group of firefighters were conducting ice rescue training on Krivkoor Lake before the accident occurred. The fire chief then noticed two people running across the lake before the ice beneath them broke, sending them into the water. Crews quickly went into response mode and two other departments showed up for assistance with the rescue. Two firefighters with ropes around their waists jumped into the icy water. A third threw a rope into the water for the teens to grab onto. Other team members pulled the two out of the lake within minutes. The rescue occurred 350 feet from the shore. The two teens, ages 15 and 17, were later taken to the hospital for observation. None of them suffered any injuries. A video of the rescue was posted online and commenters thank the firefighters for being in the right place at the right time. A Black Hawk helicopter makes its first autonomous flight. The pilotless flight from Fort Campbell, Kentucky lasted about 30 minutes. It was repeated two days later, according to the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Officials say autonomous helicopters can help Army pilots focus less on mechanics and more on the mission at hand. It also allows aircraft to operate at any time of the day or night and in difficult conditions. Weather conditions on Earth impact when rockets can launch and apparently space weather can cause problems too. About 40 SpaceX Starlink satellites will likely drop from orbit due to a geomagnetic storm that occurs when solar winds from the sun come into contact with the Earth's magnetic field. Officials say the storm is affecting the area where some of the SpaceX satellites were sent and the atmosphere is so dense that the satellites won't be able to make it to their intended target. Despite knowing about the storm, SpaceX went ahead with the launch on February 3rd. No word on how much of a financial hit this will be for the tech company. NASA has chosen Lockheed Martin to help carry samples from Mars back to Earth. The space and defense contractor has been tasked with building the Mars Ascent Vehicle. The rocket would land on the red planet to retrieve rocks and dirt currently being gathered by the rover Perseverance. The aircraft has been strong enough to withstand Mars' harsh environment, but also small enough to fit inside another lander. The six-year contract with Lockheed Martin is worth about $194 million. If successful, the Mars Ascent Vehicle would be the first to launch from another planet. NASA says the samples won't likely return to Earth until the early 2030s. A pair of bald eagles is tending their nest with a pair of eggs, again this year, near Big Bear Lake in the mountains of Southern California. Streaming video from the Friends of Big Bear Valley shows both the female eagle named Jackie and the larger male named Shadow tending the eggs. One egg was laid on January 22nd, and the second egg arrived three days later. Friends of Big Bear Valley say the chicks could begin hatching late this month. Last year, the pair also laid two eggs, but neither chick survived. The nest is in a pine tree about 145 feet above the ground. Just ahead, Super Bowl ticket prices are selling for a premium ahead of Sunday's championship game. They're now in the thousands of dollars as fans try to be a part of the Los Angeles match. But for some, the cost is too high. Find out more here on NTD News. Novak Djokovic, who was deported from Australia over his COVID-19 vaccination status ahead of the Australian Open, is on the entry list for next month's Indian Wells ATP event in California. The 34-year-old Serb, who is unvaccinated, was deported after an 11-day roller coaster in Australia. This involved two visa cancellations, two court challenges, and five nights at an immigration detention hotel. Djokovic has won Indian Wells five times and as part of a stacked field that was announced on Wednesday, this includes 2022 Australian Open winner Rafael Nadal and several other top 10 players. Tournament organizers said in a statement that valid proof of full vaccination would be required for entry into the venue. The Indian Wells tournament runs from March 9th through the 20th. Djokovic could have trouble even getting into the United States. Foreign air travelers have had to be fully vaccinated since November last year and must provide proof before boarding flights. As the teams gear up, a combination of factors is fueling sky-high prices for Super Bowl tickets. That's as fans look to be a part of Sunday's championship game in Los Angeles.
1: Super Bowl tickets are always a hot item. But with the Rams playing in their home stadium, diehard Bengals fans are flying in from Cincinnati and demand is skyrocketing.
6: As you can imagine, given where we are in the entertainment capital of the world and with a home-team Super Bowl, ticket demand has been pretty strong. Uh, Not surprisingly, a ton of early demand from the Cincinnati, Ohio area, a lot of Bengals fans incredibly excited about seeing their team in the Super Bowl for the first time in 33 years.
1: The get-in price for a ticket on StubHub dipped just below $4,000 on Wednesday, while the average cost of tickets sold on the site was around $6,500 numbers that left some fans in shock.
2: I think that's absurd. I
9: think that is, um, you know, given the state of our economy, I just think that's absurd for anyone, to put a normal person to be able to pay that.
1: The average U.S. salary in 2019 was just shy of $52,000, according to Federal Reserve economic data, meaning tickets to the game are largely out of reach for the average American family. One business owner said twenty five hundred dollars is as much as he would be willing to shell out.
10: But after that I'm I'll, you know, I'll find a great bar and watch it if I can't. You know, if on Sunday morning all all hell breaks loose. Oh, we can always find a good bar and and just, you know, start drinking.
1: California buyers are driving the bulk of the sales, with residents accounting for over fifty percent of new ticket purchases on Tuesday.
6: Me personally I I I'd, I'd probably Budget, I, I don't know, $2,500, I, I would say, would probably be the, the ceiling, you know. But that's all inclusive, though. That's I'm talking a suite, I'm talking, you know, food, you know, all, all the amenities.
1: The Cincinnati Bengals will face the Los Angeles Rams this Sunday at Super Bowl 56. It will mark the Bengals' first appearance since 1988. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Germany will host its first-ever regular season NFL game. The game will take place during the 2022 season. It is the first of four games scheduled for the country through 2025. It will be one of the five international games during the 2022 season. The NFL has one game planned for Mexico and three for the UK. Of the four games to be played over the next few years in Germany, two will be in Munich and two in Frankfurt. The first one will be in Munich. The Munich mayor says it's an honor to host the first regular season game in Germany and that there are many NFL fans in Munich. The NFL estimates it has 19 million fans across Germany. The international game matchups will be announced in the coming weeks along with the full NFL game schedule. On Thursday, local time in Beijing, Nathan Chen completed his four year journey toward an Olympic gold medal. His record-short program at the Olympic Games with a near-perfect free skate earned him a standing ovation from supporters inside the stadium. The 22-year-old star landed all five of his quads during his Rocketman program. He finished with 332.6 points. That's just three off his own world record. That makes him the first American champion since Evan Lysacek in 2010. Chen's score easily outdistanced his closest pursuers, it put distance between him and any lingering memories of his brutal disappointment four years ago in Pyeongchang. Chen said he never imagined he'd make it to the Olympics, let alone win.
1: I never
4: imagined I'd be able to make it this far in my career and be able to go to two Olympics. And then, of course, having the opportunity that I had today, um, it really means the world. Um, I still, of course, have, have to take a little bit more time to process, process everything.
0: Chen says he doesn't know if he will continue skating competitively He says returning to school in August is the next thing on his agenda. Japan's two-time defending Olympic champion and Chen's longtime rival finished in fourth place. American Vincent Zhou competed with Chen in the team event, but he later withdrew from competition after testing positive for COVID-19. 15-year-old Russian figure skater Kamila Velayeva has tested positive for a banned drug. That's according to a Wednesday report in Russian newspaper RBC. The drug Vilyava, tested positive for is typically used to treat chest pain and regulates rapid swings in blood pressure. It has been on the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of prohibited substances since 2014. Figure skating is a prestige sport for Russia in which it has an outstanding record at Olympic and World Championships. Any move to penalize Valieva for or strip the team of their medals would likely cause a national outcry. Valieva showed up for her scheduled practice at the Beijing Olympics on Thursday. Gold medalist Eileen Gu has risen to a place of stardom on Team China, affectionately dubbed Beijing's Olympic darling, after claiming victory on the ski slopes. But some wonder whether she's actually eligible to compete for the country. Reporters are posing questions about her citizenship status, but for now, the answer remains unclear today's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on the story. All eyes are on Beijing for the
4: Winter Games. And one Olympian is drawing particular attention. Eileen Gu is a freestyle skier competing for Team China. She's become Beijing's Olympic darling in recent days, lifted to hero status after claiming her first gold medal for the country. But the U.S.-born athlete is facing questions. Not about her sport, but her citizenship. Gu repeatedly declined a comment about her citizenship status Tuesday. Instead, saying during a press conference, her mission is to use sport as a force for unity. I'm Chinese, I'm American when I'm in the U.S. and I'm Chinese when I'm in China. Reporters asked similar questions in a number of different ways, but Gu deflected each one. The issue comes as many wonder why Gu was allowed to compete for China. That's because Chinese law doesn't allow dual citizenship, and there's no record chuang has given up for U.S. status. But who exactly makes the rules for who is and isn't allowed to compete for a given country? And what is the rule? The Olympic Charter states that any competitor must be a national of the country they represent, adding that if an athlete is a national of two or more countries, they may choose to represent either one of them but Chinese law considers its non-citizen permanent residents foreigners. It states any foreigners who obtained a foreign permanent resident ID card must present a valid passport and foreign permanent resident ID card to exit and enter China. According to a BBC report, the Chinese consulate general in New York confirmed Gu has been through the process to obtain permanent residency and become eligible for China's Olympic team. Gu's newfound popularity has come with added perks. She now endorses over 20 brands in China. That's up from just seven before 2021. And most of her original sponsors are tied to skiing. But since last year, brands unrelated to the sport have sought her out for endorsements. These brands include designer fashion and beauty companies like Louis Vuitton and Estee Lauder, luxury car maker Cadillac, Swiss watchmaker IWC, and home goods manufacturer Kohler. Her endorsement fee for each new sponsor has skyrocketed, now sitting at nearly $2 million. The total value of her endorsements is estimated at roughly $35
0: million, revenue she shares with her agency. Coming up, war-weary Ukrainian soldiers stationed in the eastern regions say they are ready to make it or break it. The country has been in a conflict with Russia-backed rebels since 2014. It will soon be 50 years since the Apollo 16 mission to the moon. Workers at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center are busy cleaning the spacecraft and preparing to roll it out again for the celebration. More on that after the short break. Slovakia's parliament approves a defense treaty with the United States. The treaty allows the U.S. military to use two Slovak air force bases for 10 years, while Slovakia will receive $100 million to modernize them. The agreement was signed by Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Slovakia's defense minister on Thursday in Washington. It still needs to be ratified by Slovakia's president. The vote in Slovakia's parliament took place amid fears of Russia's possible invasion of Ukraine. Slovakia borders Ukraine. The treaty has been supported by the government of Slovakia's prime minister. He says it significantly enhances Slovakia's security. But the opposition fiercely opposes it. It claims it would compromise the country's sovereignty. The Slovak and U.S. governments have rejected those charges. Thousands rallied against the agreement in front of the parliament. Slovakian, Russian, and even communist flags could be spotted in the crowd. Israel says the country is ready to sell its air defense system, known as the Iron Dome, to the United Arab Emirates. This comes after the supposedly Iran-backed Houthi terrorist group launched two missile attacks on the UAE in late January. Now the U.S. has stepped up its military support of the Gulf nation. Some analysts say the attacks could hurt the country's commerce and tourism. Now we hear from Middle East expert and executive editor of the media line, Michael Friedman. He explains more about the Iron Dome system and what Israel's potential sale of it could mean for the US.
10: The Iron Dome was the creation of Israel. The original technology, the original funding was something that Israel had to deal with because of the tremendous number, literally thousands of short-range missiles, homemade missiles and somewhat more sophisticated missiles all coming at them sometimes at the same time. Uh, the technology needed to be developed to come up with a system. They came up with this one after the Patriots were um, the anchor, sort of in a relay race, they would be the, the, the anchor. The Patriot handled the big things coming across the world, but the little ones coming about two and a half to four miles, they were the big problem, the big bugaboo. The, with the successful development of the Iron Dome, the United States became involved. Israel did a share technology deal with the United States. Uh, the funding from that point on became primarily American funding.
0: So, Michael, I wanted to ask you, if Israel sells the Iron Dome equipment to the UAE, how would that affect the sale or replenishment of Iron Dome equipment from the U.S. to Israel?
10: Well, it would make some Amer- some dollars flow into America. It's, it's not a cheap system. The basic uh, package in exploring the feasibility was um, about $250 million. And I've heard the price tag put on each projectile. You know, the way the system works is it's a computer-operated um, missile launcher that reads what's coming in. And if it's, if it's headed for trouble on your side, it's going to try to shoot down the incoming projectile. If the computer reads that it's going to fall in an area harmlessly and not a populated area or an area where they could take the hit, then it doesn't launch at all. But those projectiles that come up to take down the incoming missile could be forty thousand dollars a pop.
0: The Biden administration has recently restored some sanctions waivers on Iran. What does this mean for Iran's nuclear ambitions?
10: Well, it depends on who you speak to. The Israelis are pretty much standing alone and being vehemently opposed to reinstating the deal that in 2015 was cut. The uh, Nuclear agreement with Iran and the nations of the world. One of the complaints that the Israelis had when the negotiations were going on back before the 2015 deal was signed was that ballistic missiles were being made at a great rate, and they didn't fall under the the, uh, agreement that was being negotiated. The Iranians unveiled a a new ballistic missile, and it's a missile that can easily reach any part of Israel and it can, it's big enough to carry a nuclear warhead. So uh, it appears that Israel was correct on that one. How this new wrinkle in the works will affect anything, we'll have to wait and see.
0: The waivers allow nuclear contractors from Europe, Russia, and China to engage in product projects at a civilian nuclear power plant in Iran and the research reactor in Tehran. Iranian leadership called the waivers good, but not enough. Washington's move, according to Bloomberg, could lay the groundwork to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. It's a deal former President Trump called the worst deal ever, citing the fact that restrictions lift after a certain number of years, potentially paving the way for Iran to develop a nuclear weapon. Ukraine has been in a war with Russia-backed separatists in the country's eastern region for eight years. Ukrainian soldiers in the front line have stayed in the trenches since 2014, and some say they are fed up with uncertainty. Here are the details.
9: Ukrainian soldiers stationed in the country's Donbass region bordering Russia say they're fed up with uncertainty and wish for a breakthrough in the conflict. One of them is a 27-year-old former engineering student. He's been stationed at the front line for the past year.
3: We
6: are sick of this never-ending war. Make it or break it. Let them attack us, or we should attack them to end this uncertainty. We are all tired of this. I remember all the enthusiasm there was back in 2014,
10: 2015 and 2016.
9: After months spent in the trenches, soldiers are doing what they can to cope with tension and fight boredom. Less than a mile from the line of separation from Russian-backed rebels is another soldier. He says training will be crucial if full-scale conflict breaks out.
6: If something starts, it is impossible to predict what's going to happen and to plan accordingly. One will have to rely on one's skills, habits and experience. The most important thing is to prevent panic, because panic is something that one cannot control.
9: In 2014, separatists backed by Moscow broke away from Ukrainian government control and proclaimed themselves independent People's Republics. Ukraine says about 15,000 people have been killed in fighting so far, and that there were 35,000 separatist fighters and 2,000 Russian regular forces in the region. Russia denies being a party to the conflict, but they have backed the separatists by offering covert military support, financial aid and Russian passports.
0: Belgium's national dish of fried potatoes are sold from trucks and kiosks across the country. Just don't call them French fries, but they're about to get pricier.
3: Belgium's national dish is about to get pricier. The fried potatoes sold from trucks and kiosks across the country are the latest victim of rising energy and raw material prices. Inflation in Belgium was 6.6% year on year in December. The president of the National Union of Fries Makers, Bernard Lefebvre, represents some 4,600 businesses. He said they're not immune to the national picture.
1: Fries being such an important product for Belgium, of course, emotionally, when you have an, uh, an increase of 10 or 20 cent a portion, it's heartbreaking. Frying machines have improved a lot in efficiency the last years. But yes, you, you can't fry fries with a candle.
3: The boss of this fry stand says customers will understand because prices haven't changed in a long time. The 10% price hike is expected to add 20 cents to the cost of a typical portion, all thanks to pricier fat, potatoes and energy.
0: April will mark the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 16 mission that carried three astronauts to the moon. To prepare for celebrations, workers are beginning a big cleanup of the spacecraft. Let's take a look.
9: The Apollo 16 capsule will be soon rolled out again to celebrate the 50th anniversary of its mission to the moon in April 1972. But before that, workers at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama will be busy cleaning the spacecraft.
6: We clean because it is always better when you're looking at something that's nice and clean, but also cleaning is an important part of conserving the object for the future, whether that's a spacecraft or it's a spacesuit or... You know, any kind of museum object will occasionally need to be cleaned uh, in an appropriate way so that you are preserving it for future generations.
9: Workers removed dozens of items that people had stuck through cracks in the case. They said the spacecraft was in pretty good condition, considering its age and how long it had been since the last cleaning, which took place about three years ago.
6: The case is not completely hermetically sealed, which is actually an important thing. You don't want to completely seal it off and have no air circulation. And so we do occasionally get insects and fluff and those sorts of things in there. Sometimes some foreign debris, you know, makes it in there by people trying to do things.
9: The capsule is on loan from the Smithsonian Institution and has been displayed at the museum since the 1970s. A retired NASA astrobiologist who serves as an educator and guide at the museum says decades ago there was once a time when visitors could touch the spacecraft. But preservationists later realized that the capsule didn't hold up well under the constant touch of tourists.
1: This is a piece of history that human beings should be able to enjoy millennia from now, not just in the next few decades or centuries, but uh, it should be kept and preserved because it represents. Uh, One of the greatest triumphs of the space program of the planet earth
9: the three astronauts of apollo 16 cat mattingly john young and charlie duke are expected to attend a celebration marking the 50th anniversary of the mission
0: a diminutive bull in germany is making himself comfortable in his new herd at an animal sanctuary he was recently rescued from a farmer who would have sent the calf to the slaughterhouse the bull is named napoleon He was born with a genetic defect. That means the 8-month-old has already reached his full height at 2 feet 6 inches. Napoleon belongs to the Irish Dexter breed, which produces rather small cattle. They grow up to be about 3 feet 9 inches tall, so Napoleon is very short even among his own breed. The owner of the animal sanctuary says Napoleon is just as feisty as his namesake, and the young bull now has found a foster mother, and despite his size, he is making his presence felt at the farm. Around 100 animals live on the sanctuary, which is open to the public on Sundays. The owner hopes more people will visit as Napoleon becomes more popular. On today's health segment, we have a few easy tips on how you can lower your blood pressure. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body.
8: If you've got high blood pressure, take a bit of comfort in knowing that it's not permanent. High blood pressure today can be low in the future if you're willing to put in some work. The three essential parts to managing or reducing high blood pressure are not particularly complex. However, they can be challenging. Here are three things you can do almost immediately that will start to lower blood pressure. Exercising regularly, better diet and good sleep. More exercise is one of the main things you need. It's a completely relative term, but it is true. If you are able-bodied and spending too much time sitting or lying down, create a movement schedule. Focus on moving for at least five minutes out of every hour during the day, in addition to 30 minutes of dedicated exercise time. If you are unable to go for a 30-minute walk or dance for half an hour, split it into manageable chunks throughout the day. Eating better will also do wonders. Toss your processed food and you will have taken a big step toward lower blood pressure. Refined and processed food, which is usually packaged or comes from a drive-through window, is some of the worst stuff for your blood pressure. It's packed with salt, sugar and fats that make arteries slim and stiff. Replace those foods with heart-healthy options such as fruit, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, protein and fatty fish. Several diet styles can help you reduce blood pressure without restricting calories or entire food groups. The Mediterranean and DASH diets are great places to start. Lastly, you'll want to take a look at sleep patterns. Poor quality sleep, generally lasting less than 6 hours per night, is associated with higher blood pressure. Taking some time to assess your sleeping conditions and pre-sleep routine can help you to get on a better path. If that makes no difference, consider booking an appointment at a sleep clinic. These three factors are not substitutes for prescribed blood pressure treatments. However, they are all proven to reduce blood pressure. Including them in your life may lead to lower blood pressure and no longer needing medicine.
0: Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6:30 Eastern in New York City. I'm Kevin Hogan.